Uh, This morning's reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 7, and can be found on page 1133 in the church Bibles in front of you. So Romans 7, beginning at the first verse. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then... If she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Great, thanks, Steve. Uh, do keep Bibles open, page 1133, and we're going to pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we've just sung, um, cause your word to come alive in me, give me faith for what I cannot see. Lord, we, 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 we pray that's to you again. Um, we pray that as we, we hear your word, as we think about your word this morning, you would speak to us as a church, speak to us individually as well as we look into this passage and thank you, God, that you are the God who, who speaks to us, your people. Amen. Uh, so we're looking at Romans uh, chapter 7, verses 1 to 6 uh, this morning. So do keep that open. And um, I wonder if you've ever found yourself breaking the law. Now, I'm not expecting a show of hands to say, oh, yeah, I'm breaking the law this morning. Um, but I wonder if you've ever found yourself either on purpose or unintentionally breaking the law. Um, perhaps... You've been tempted this week, or perhaps you have. You've, you've uh, just creeped over the 20 mile an hour speed limit that runs along these roads, thinking, well, a few miles doesn't make a difference. Uh, perhaps it's something in your past. Perhaps there was a pressure to, to drink underage. Um, perhaps it's when you're driving and the phone goes off or the text message. Just, I'm just going to have a quick look. It'll be all right. There are, there are all sorts of ways that we intentionally break the law. We, we think, okay, it's, it's not a problem. We can get away with it. I'm not talking so much about big things like murder and stuff like that, but, but intentional ways that we break the law on probably a day-to-day basis. But there's also ways that we might unknowingly break the law as well. I was interested to find out these two things this week of how we may have unintentionally broken the law in the past. Um, If you've ever put a stamp on upside down by accident and put it in the post, then I'm afraid you're a lawbreaker. So if you'd like to turn yourself in at the end of the service, and that would be great. Or if you've ever done a bit of vacuuming after one o'clock on a Sunday at home, it turns out you you are breaking the law by doing that. So again, if you'd like to turn yourself in, then you come around and do vacuuming in our house 
Um, so there, there are ways that we unintentionally, silly little things like that, we break the law without even realising about it. But the Bible says there's a different kind of law at work throughout creation. Well, I've just quoted there examples of what you might call civil law or kind of laws that we have in this country. that are actually informed by, by biblical law and principles. And just like those laws, sometimes the biblical law we may either intentionally or unaware be breaking. Um, and law in the Bible is basically summed up in the fact that it is how people are to live in a particular way that reflects God's character. And earlier on, we've been looking in Romans, back in uh, chapter 2, um, Paul uses the, uh, the argument that actually this law is written on our hearts, whether we're believers or not. Actually, all of us, to some degree, know what the law of God is. We know how we should behave. Paul says it's written on the conscience of all people. Now, what you do with that is a different question. But none of us can say that well, we, we're just completely free agents and we live however we want. On our conscience... There is the law of God. And most people do one of two things with it, or maybe they they do different things at different times. We've been looking back in previous chapters of how some people choose to suppress it. They just pretend it's not there, it's not a problem, just going to push it down further and further. That's one way of dealing with it, it's not a good way. And there's an equally uh, damaging way, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is the way of legalism. We make it all about trying to keep the law as well as we can. We just try our hardest to do the right thing. And basically it ends up with us judging ourselves and others by our ability to keep that law. Does that make sense? So that's what we're thinking about this morning. We're thinking about legalism and the gospel. And legalism is probably something that we don't talk about much in church. Uh, Maybe it's a more respectable sin. We don't kind of have a word with someone if we think that, you know, they've got legalistic tendencies. It seems to be acceptable. But I want you to see this morning just how damaging it is, just how ugly it is, particularly in the church. Paul's going to help us to see why we need to take it seriously, what we can do about it, and how the future might be different moving away from legalism and living out more of a gospel life. So we're going to start by thinking about why we need to take it seriously. As we think about avoiding what Paul calls a dead-end way, we need to beware. Paul starts with this question. Look down at at verse 1, if you were, on your Bibles, chapter 7, page 1133. He says, do you not know, don't you know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives? So Paul starts with this question, don't you know that the law has authority well, what is this law? We've, we've seen it a little bit. Um, this law is what you might call the Torah, which, which is a technical word from, from Paul's day, meaning the, the law that we find in the Old Testament. So um, everything before Jesus coming in the flesh, the law of the Old Testament. But also in Paul's day, there was the interpretation of that law. So, for example, we've got the Ten Commandments, haven't we, in the Old Testament, But you've also got the interpretation of how you are to live those out. And it was that collective term or Torah that is being spoken of here, why he talks about the law. 
So it's the written law and the interpretation of that law. And actually, for many Jews today, that is still a really big part of Judaism, keeping Torah, keeping the written law and keeping the interpretation of that law, how you live it out. And it is those kind of people that Paul is speaking to. Now, these people are Christians. He calls them brothers and sisters. These are people who know Christ, but maybe they grew up knowing the law. Maybe they were, probably most of them would have been Jewish, but perhaps some of them were were non-Jewish or what the Bible calls Gentile believers who became Jewish and then became Christians. They're people who've, who've grown up. So for us, it might be people who have grown up in the church. We've been to Sunday school and, and we've gone through all of that. We've heard all those stories along the way. Paul is saying that the law has its purpose, but it's not going to save you. That's a really big point in terms of what he's been saying in Romans. The law has its purpose, but it is not able to save someone. Or the word that Paul uses, David was reminding us of last week, is the law cannot justify us. No one will be justified by God, put right with God, by trying to keep the law. And this is why legalism or just law keeping is a dead end way. None of us will be made right by trying to keep the law. Rather, the law is there to show us our need for a saviour, someone to save us. But the question that Paul is trying to, to, to help them to think about is, once Jesus has come, thinking about the fact that the law points to Jesus, okay? so the law shows people the need for a saviour, once that saviour comes, what do you do with that law stuff? What do you do with it? And that's what the church in Paul's day was working out. So, for example, what do you do with circumcision? Which was a big thing in the law that that men, Jewish men, should be circumcised. But that was pointing out the fact that this is a distinct group of people who need a saviour. Once the saviour comes, do you still need circumcision? Well, the New Testament church worked out that actually you don't need circumcision anymore. That was a sign of waiting for the Messiah to come. But now the Messiah's come, which is why we don't have circumcision. Or other things like bacon. Working out, can we eat bacon? The great news is we can eat bacon. Because some of those laws about the things you could eat were pointing for the need of the Messiah for Jesus Christ. And what you see in the Bible is there are these different types of laws. You have those ones like circumcision and what you can eat that are more kind of cultural laws. They are showing that until the Messiah comes, God's people should live in a distinct way to show that they are different from the other nations. But there are other laws in there as well, what you might call moral laws. For example, what we find in the Ten Commandments, which is why we still use them, that we are to love God and we we are to not commit murder, not to commit adultery. Those are moral laws. They're not cultural. They are moral. And they still apply for us today. You see, this whole discussion about how we should live is still relevant for us in the 21st century. That's why it says in the end of uh, verse one that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And we'll think about what that means in just a moment. You see, without the gospel, we are bound to the law. The, the metaphor he uses here is we are married to it as long as we live. Now, perhaps you're sitting here this morning thinking, uh, I don't think I am under the law, actually, Tim. Um, I don't feel like I'm under the law. I feel like I'm a free agent. I can live how I want to be. There's no law telling me what to do. And I say, fair enough. You may not be trying to live up to God's standard, but I bet you have a standard or a law of your own. I bet you have certain standards the way that you think you should live. 
Perhaps it's to do with the fact that you don't think you should lie or you don't think you should gossip or you think you should be generous. Well, I want to push that back at you and think, I wonder how well you keep your own law. I wonder how well you live up to your own standards. Have you ever failed to live up to any one of those standards? And in that case, what are you going to do? You failed your own standards. And the Bible says we've, we've failed to live up to God's standards as well. You see, all of us are bound to law, whether we recognize where it comes from or not. Paul is saying that legalism doesn't free us, it just condemns us. It tells us when we've got things wrong. We try and obey the rules as hard as we can, and we fail. Perhaps spectacularly, or perhaps just a little bit. But we fail. And Jesus says it's because, actually, our hearts are based on the wrong thing. And that it is the heart that God looks at. It is the heart that God judges. We, we think about two of the commands in the Ten Commandments. Take uh, the sixth and the seventh one. So not to murder and not to commit adultery. We say, well, okay, well, I haven't murdered anyone. Jesus in the Gospel says you may not have murdered anyone, but if you've hated someone in your heart, then you are as guilty as a murderer. Just because you haven't had the opportunity to, to kill someone. God looks at the heart. You may say, I haven't committed adultery, but have you lost it after someone? Jesus says, well, in your heart, you are guilty of adultery. You see, we are judged based on our hearts, not on our opportunities. So when we fail, what do we do? When, when we fail to live up to God's standards or even to our own standards, what do we do? Well, the legalist does one of two things. We either deny it. We either said, well, I didn't really do that. Um, or it's not quite as bad as it seems. We either deny it or we despair. I can't believe I'm the person who would do something like that. We either deny or despair. Deny or despair. Do you see why legalism is such a big problem then for, for anyone? Paul says it leads to death. Look at verse 5. For when we are in the realm of the flesh, that is before we knew Jesus... The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that, focus on this bit at the end, so that we bore fruit for death. Legalism leads to death. It isn't a life-giving way to live, quite the opposite. It just condemns us when we fail. And Paul is saying this is why it is such a massive issue if legalism is in the church. Yet I think it is in the church. And it leads to death, being bound to a way of life that will kill us. And this is why it is so ugly when you see it in Christians, when we see it in ourselves. Because Christians, what it was a Christian? A Christian is someone who has a relationship with God based on grace alone. It's one of the great Reformation principles that we have a relationship with God based on grace, his goodness, his kindness, his love. That is a beautiful thing to be a Christian. What is legalism? Where it's making it all about how we can try and keep the law. And then we fail. That's ugly, isn't it? The gospel is beautiful. Legalism is ugly. And Paul uses here this, this, this uh, metaphor of marriage to try and drive the point home of saying we are, we are either bound to the law or we have been freed. Now I haven't got time to, to go into this whole idea of sort of marriage beyond the grave. Um, 
we'll come back to that at another point or do come and speak with me afterwards or maybe chat about it in small groups. We've got opportunity to study this passage this week. But the point that Paul is trying to make, why he uses this metaphor about marriage and what happens when one of them dies, is that we are either bound to the law or we are bound to Christ. We can't be bound to both. It's not possible. Just like you can't be married to two people. One writer puts it like this, that the Christian who tries to live like a, lead, uh, like a legalist is essentially having an adulterous relationship. They should be married to Christ, but, but their mistress is legalism. That's, that's the kind of feeling that Paul is trying to evoke in the church in Rome as he's writing this to them. He said, it's just not suitable to have this in the church. It is wrong, it is, and it just shouldn't happen. And I wonder if you sit here uh, this morning, uh, like me, thinking, actually, I recognize elements of this in my own life. I recognize this in myself. And I experience this when, when I fail to live up to God's standards, where I'm tempted to either deny it, pretend it didn't happen, try and deceive myself, or I just despair. But actually, God doesn't want this for us. He doesn't want us to be legalists who either deny the truth or despair. He wants, as Jesus says in in John chapter 10, us to experience life in all its fullness. But he wants us to avoid this dead end way. What can we do about it? If you've been convicted of the fact this morning that, that... that actually, yes, there are elements in your own life that, that, that's, that look like legalism. What are we going to do about it? Well, Paul says, actually, we can die to legalism. And that is a great, great truth that, that we want to we want to stress and, and rejoice in this morning. That we can die to legalism. This is such great news. Have a look at verse four. He says, so, my brothers and sisters, you also died in past tense to the law. Through the body of Christ. Paul says you have died to the law. You've died to the legalism through Christ's death on your behalf. So if the law demands things of us, how how we behave, how we live, how we love God and love one another. But because of sin, we fail. We face judgment. Paul is saying the, the, the antidote to that is the fact that Christ died for us. Christ died for you. As in, he took the full weight of the demand of the law, all the ways that we have failed to live up to God's standards, he took all of those upon himself. So that when we fail, we don't need to either deny the fact or we don't need to despair about it because Jesus took the punishment for all of them. For each time we have broken God's law. Paul writes elsewhere in Ephesians that when we trust in Christ, we are united to him which means that everything that is true of Christ is now true of us in terms of his relationship he has with God. So it means that as Christ died, so we also have died to the law. As in, we're not bound to it anymore, if that makes sense. Because Christ has died to the law, we're, we're united to Christ, that means that we've died to the law. It doesn't have ownership over us anymore. That means we're no longer condemned when we break God's law. If you think about it this way, it's, it's lost its stickiness on us. It just, just, just falls off. That means our standing before God is no longer based on how well we can keep the law. Try, try, and, try and think about it in terms of, of that. That our relationship with God isn't based on how well we can keep the law. 
But it's based on the fact that Jesus died for us. Jesus died for you. And that means we've been released. That's what he says in verse 6. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. Set free from legalism. We've died to it. And now we do the process in God's grace of getting rid of it. We might need to say uh, something like this today. I've just, just shaped a little prayer. Um, and perhaps this is something that we might want to pray this morning. Something along the lines of this. Father God, I'm sorry for trying to earn your love, for making it all about how well I can keep the law. Jesus, I surrender to you and let your death set me free from legalism. Wouldn't it be great if, if we left church this morning and all of us having that on our hearts? Lord, you have set me free from legalism. I surrender to you. God wants us to know freedom. He doesn't want us to know the pain uh, and, and this horrible life of legalism. God wants us to know freedom, but we need to receive it. We can't keep on pretending, actually, God, that I, I don't want this gift. I'm going to just try and do it my own way. Don't do that. It leads to, to death. Choose the freedom that he offers, please. Look at, look at the end of uh, verse 4. Um, it says that... Um, that you might belong, so that bit, middle bit, third line down, that you might belong to another. That is how freedom is found. Freedom isn't found in terms of freedom from God or, or freedom from anything else. Actually, real freedom is found in belonging to God. That is who we can be, who we are truly supposed to be. That is how we can experience freedom in life, now and in eternity. Paul stresses we are under a new owner because our relationship to the law and to God has changed. We are now part of God's family. We are united to Jesus, which means that we think differently about the law. We're no longer bound to it. We're free. Paul makes that point clear. But when we are freed from it, we come back to it with a new attitude. So a Christian isn't someone who just forgets about the law. That's great that Jesus has died for me. I I don't try and uh, obey the law to make God happy with me. That's fine. That's only half of the truth. You see, we, we, we do die to the, the, the demands of the law, but because of that, we go back to the law with new eyes. So we don't forget about it. That, that's a mistake that, that some Christians can make. We're no longer bound to it. We're free, but actually we're free to it, to come back to it with a new attitude. So Paul doesn't want it just to go away with, with, with happy heart. He does want the church to experience that. But he wants us to be renewed in our understanding so that we might serve differently. And this is the last bit that we come on to in terms of thinking about fruitful service. How can I be fruitful in my serving? How can this idea that I've been freed by grace, by Jesus' death, how can that change my attitude towards serving and obeying the law? Paul talks at the end of this passage, verse 6, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirits and not in the old way of the written code. There's a new way that Christians serve, this new way of the spirit. Think about it this way. Law was once the thing I used to try and justify myself, the legalist might say. Law is once the thing I used to try and justify myself. But now, 
It is the thing I choose to obey because I have been justified. Do you see the difference? Do you see which one comes first? It is a relationship with God that leads to obedience. I want to obey the Ten Commandments because God loves me and because he's freed me from the demand of having to keep them as opposed to I try and keep them and then hope at the end of the day when I die, God's pleased enough with me. Do you see what a difference it is? Do you see how one is freedom leading to fruitful serving and how the other one is just an intolerable burden? This is the new way of the spirit that Paul is talking about. When you trust in Jesus' death for you, he puts his, his Holy Spirit inside of you, which means for the legalist, you stop trying to impress him. Because you know you can't. Instead, you serve out of thankfulness. I wonder if you've ever noticed those, albeit rare times, when a child chooses to do something because they're just happy, or they're just thankful, or they just they just know they're loved, and, and it takes you by surprise, perhaps, or you've you've seen it happen, or heard about it happen on those rare occasions, where a, a child knows they're loved, knows they're cared for, and they say, "Daddy, can I help?" And they just want to help because they know they're loved and cared for. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to be thinking, oh, if I just do this for my daddy, then he'll love me. If I do this, the sad truth is that that is true for some children, isn't it? But God wants us to know that we are loved and we serve him out of gratitude for that love and everything he's done for us. That's how we're to serve as a church and individually. We're to be fruitful and that's our motivation for serving Have a look. We'll finish up at the end of this bit in verse 4. It says that we might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. We are to produce a crop. We are to be fruitful, joyous Christians. People serving in the new way of the Spirit. And actually doing that, we will achieve far more than as legalists. We will bear fruit which lasts because it is pleasing to God. And as we finish up, I want us just to think about three areas that might have implications for us in terms of our life. Think about giving. Why does the, I'm going to use extreme examples and uh, we're all a work in progress, I realise that. But the legalist gives reluctantly or because they have to or because they think if I give, God will be pleased with me. Or perhaps someone else will see me give and that will make me feel better about myself. Or maybe I, I give so that I'm not like those people who don't give. But The person serving in the new way of the spirit, the Christian, gives joyfully because they realize how much they have been given. God, you've given everything that that I've given me, everything that I've got. Why why can I not use it to, to be a blessing to others? Now, as I said, we're all on a journey from that. And that's not just financial giving. That's giving time, energy. That's one possibility. What about serving? Well, the legalist serves to try and impress to try and impress God, hoping that they will be noticed, hoping that their, their efforts will be seen by others. And again, they'll feel better about themselves. But the person serving in the new way of the Spirit serves quietly. No one needs to know what I do because I'm just serving out of gratitude and thankfulness. And the last one, what, what about in the area of temptation? Whatever, however you're, you're tempted to sin, whatever it is, the legalist has, has two responses to temptation, and that's probably pride and fear. So they say, I don't give in to temptation because I'm not like those people who do that. So it's pride, that's why they're trying to obey. Or it's fear, 
I don't do that kind of thing because what happens if I get caught? What would people think of me? That's what the legalist does. But the person serving in the new way, the spirit, says I don't give in to that. Because I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. And that's not the way I live anymore. Now as I said, we're, in all of those things we're a work in progress. But, but Paul says that, that he who began a good work in us will complete it. If we want to throw off this deadly burden of legalism, we need to realize that it's only possible through Christ's death. Uh, and if this is all new for you, there's, there's a couple of books I'd like to recommend we've got on the bookstall. Um, this one here by Marcus Stodner is called uh, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? It's a little sort of bluey, greeny one. And another one called Is Forgiveness Really Free? Two great books that will just help you think a little bit more about those two issues um, of how we can die to, to legalism. That's what Paul's been showing us this morning. There's only possible through Christ's death. If we want to experience freedom from that, that pain of denying what we've done or despairing about what we've done. But when I personally trust that Jesus died for me on the cross, as we'll remember in communion in just a few moments' time, that that transforms me into someone who obeys out of sheer delight, like that child, I just want to do it because I'm loved. We become fruitful and free Christians. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, none of us want to be legalists. I'm sure um, we know the the pain of of legalism, of of failing to live up to your standard and other standards and uh, how tempted we are to um, deny it or to despair when it happens. Lord, help us to take hold of the gift in Jesus Christ um, of life free from uh, legalism. And uh, as a result, uh, we want to be people who serve fruitfully, as we've just sung, that you would turn our strivings into works of grace. Breath of God, show Christ in all we do. Amen.